Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host as always, Douglas Burdett, and today I'm joined by two past and extremely popular guests on the show, Seth Godin and David Merriman Scott. We're going to talk about The Carbon Almanac, published by Portfolio Penguin. Seth Godin is the founding editor of The Carbon Almanac, and if you go to the Almanac's website at thecarbonalmanac.org, his bio reads, Seth is the author of 20 bestsellers a daily blogger and founder of one of the first internet companies. He paddles his canoe on the Hudson River every day. And David Merriman Scott is listed as author of 12 books, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR and the Wall Street Journal bestseller Fanocracy, Marketing and Business Growth Strategist, Entrepreneur, Advisor to Emerging Companies. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast, and thank you for the opportunity to talk to you about this undertaking. (laughs) Thanks so much, Douglas. (laughs) And to be to be clear, we're here to represent 300 other co-authors. It's not just the two of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Herculean effort. So, dear listener, I know what you're thinking. What's the Carbon Almanac? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I'm going to read from the back of the book. The Carbon Almanac is a once-in-a-lifetime collaboration of hundreds of volunteer writers, researchers, designers, leaders, and illustrators from around the world. It focuses on what we know what has come before and what might happen next. With more than 1,000 data points, this extraordinary book uses cartoons, quotes, illustrations, tables, histories, and articles to lay out carbon's impact on our food system, ocean acidity, agriculture, energy, biodiversity, extreme weather events, the economy, and human health, and gives best and worst case scenarios. Designed to share, this book is the definitive source for facts and the foundation for a global movement to fight climate change. To make a difference, we must first understand what's happening. This isn't what the oil companies, marketers, activists, or politicians want you to believe. This is what's really happening right now. It's time for facts, not opinions. Actionable insights, not complicated statistics. Climate change is not a me problem. It's a we problem. So this episode will publish on Tuesday, June 21st at precisely 5.14 a.m. Eastern U.S. time, which is the exact moment of the summer solstice, which is the same day the Carbon Almanac goes on sale. David, can, can you talk to us about why was that day picked for it to go on sale? <laughs> what an, it's an amazing date, isn't it? It's like the longest day of the year, lots of sunshine. And um, to me, um, when Seth said that was the date we were going out, it's like, wow, that's perfect. Because you don't even have to say the date. You just say the summer solstice. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, Seth, you're the founding editor Take us back. Tell us how this all came together and and why. Well, what are we doing on a business book podcast to begin with? That's um, a good question. Uh, David David made all this happen. So, Well, the reason is because this is a business problem. It's a business problem because it was the challenge we are facing right now is the result of systems that have been built over 100 years. And the same way that everything about the internet, as David has written so eloquently about, is related to business, so is everything about the climate. It's going to open enormous opportunities for entrepreneurs, and it's also going to disrupt most of the things around us. And 20 books in, I looked around and I said, I know how to make books, but (laughs) uh, what 
I need to do right now is something that is going to put up a flag for people who need to see it. And I could have written a book sort of like this if I had had five years on my own, but I wanted to help people see that there's a systems thing going on and we can use new systems to address it. And the new system we use to build this of assembling 300 peers in 40 countries around the world, all of us volunteers, is the kind of thing that we're talking about, which is community, connection, possibility. That's all we got going for us. And we're going to need to use every bit of it. How long ago did you start on this? I started on September 15th. And we handed in a 97,000-word edited, fact-checked, designed, illustrated book on February 27th. Wow. That is remarkably fast, having written 12 books. I mean, that is, it's just like, it's amazing. <laughs> amazing, yeah. amazing, amazing. But, but hold on, there's, what, 300 people that were involved? <laughs> how in the world do you... How, how in the world did you, did you even find the right folks and, and organize it so quickly? So this is part of the lesson here for the, the people who are listening. And I hope that they get a half a dozen copies of this and start handing it out. Because the idea of handing things out is critical. When we think about, for example, Wikipedia, Wikipedia is the fourth most visited website in the world. Uh, it has been edited by more than a million people, but 5,000 people do most of the edits. And if someone drifts away, the article doesn't stop getting better. And so our approach to this was not a scarcity approach, it was an abundance approach. And the group figured out the table of contents. And if someone was working hard on a carbon labeling article, then someone else would pitch in and someone else would pitch in. There was no turf. The only question is, can you make a page better? If you can make a page better, you should make a page better. Hmm. So you used a, a wiki to help uh, organize and produce this? There, uh, we did not use wiki software. We built it in a discussion board called Discourse, mm -hmm. and then we used Notion to coordinate the flow, and then we uh, moved the articles from Notion to InDesign and had a team of about a dozen people on the InDesign side. Now, you didn't know all these people beforehand, did you? Almost none of them, actually. Wow. <laughs> It's just remarkable. So I guess you know, one of the points you're making is that if if you all can do it that fast with that many people, uh, change is probably uh, more possible than people realize. And we all brought something different. So David shows up and says, let me teach you about newsjacking, or he has a connection to people in Panama, and suddenly there's two-thirds of an article already done because one person can say, follow me. Mm -hmm. But the article that David started is not the article that's there. No one owns any of the articles in the almanac because it's an almanac. It's a collection. Mm -hmm. And the proceeds of the book, where are those going to? Well, part of what I wanted to do was make the process as transparent as possible. So every single penny of our advance and every single penny of our royalties is being spent to promote the book. So that means free copies, discounts, ads, partnerships, libraries, uh, nonprofits, because now there's no debate. We're going to spend every penny, and we're going to create a cycle that gets this into the world, because our goal is not to cut down trees or make books. Our goal is to change the world. Mm -hmm. And I see on Amazon, it's only $18. So <laughs> right off the bat, what's the excuse for not buying it? So let, let's move on. Uh, 
the the book it's over 300 pages and uh the the second section of the almanac is titled climate change for rookies so it's you know, it's very accessible let me ask you just a couple of really you know obvious questions that you all uh cover there and and also on the website that i mentioned and one of them is what is carbon why does it matter and why should i care david you want to take a swing um Carbon is no, I don't. <laughs> okay. so, I'll let you. I'll let you take a swing, but then I, I, I have a couple things I might follow up on. <laughs> perfect. Our motto in the almanac is: don't take our word for it. You can look it up. Every single page in the almanac is footnoted onto our website with a free resource listing more than a thousand authoritative sources. But what? I realized early on is that even as an educated, trained mechanical engineer, I really didn't understand what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So just to explain, imagine a grid of 100 dots by 100 dots. That's 10,000 dots. Every gulp of air has, say, those 10,000 dots in it. For a million years, three of those dots out of 10,000 were carbon. And recently, it got to four. Four out of 10,000. And if we get to five, the entire world changes forever. That carbon dioxide is the result of burning fossil fuel, making concrete. And there are other elements that we can talk about. But when you add it all up, what we have done is added a very tiny amount of carbon to the air. And it has given the earth a fever. And it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me that really has come out in the Carbon Almanac is that prior to this book, which is fact-based, um, there was very much polarization around the world about what is carbon and how is it affecting us, or in some people's opinion, not affecting us. And on one hand, you have activists who are yelling and screaming and saying, if we don't do anything tomorrow, we're all going to die uh, by Thursday. Um, and then you've got others um, f that are just trying to put their head in the sand and ignore the problem. I mean, um, w a fascinating fact that we uncovered is that um, the term carbon footprint was invented by an advertising agency for British Petroleum to try to shift the blame to consumers so that people... Um, could go and figure out what their carbon footprint is and say, oh, well, I need to fix my foot footprint as opposed to the um, the energy companies that are that are pulling carbon from the ground and selling it, and um, they're shifting the blame. Um, so when we think about the facts, all of us can make educated decisions about what it means for us as opposed to um, going in sort of the red team or the blue team camp or um, getting hysterical or completely ignoring. There's there's a lot of terms in here and, you know, climate change is one we hear about. I'm wondering, are there other key terms related to climate change that are also often misunderstood? I'll, I'll share two that I hope people will think deeply about. The first one is that plastic recycling is a myth and that that blue bin you've been putting your plastic bottles in is designed to make you feel better, but it is not actually doing any good, that most of the plastic you put in there is burned within a few weeks of it ending up in the bin. And the second one is 
that the single, by far, fastest, easiest thing we can do that will have a spectacular difference is, well, there's two. One is that cows are a much bigger problem than people think. Mm -hmm. And two, we have to stop selling carbon in the form of fuels for much less than it costs. We have to stop subsidizing it. Because if we priced carbon properly, which is the market actually at work, and we stopped subsidizing and embracing cows, we would take a huge slug out of our problem. Mm. Yes. Now, uh, how is it that carbon is being subsidized? Well, there's a couple examples. Half the land in the United States is used to graze cattle. Mm-hmm. And American taxpayers put $50 billion into the cattle industry in subsidies last year. That's how McDonald's can get away with selling a hamburger for two bucks. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And the other thing is that we're all going to pay the price for that billionaire flying a rocket into space or a jet across the sky, but it's not built into the price of fuel. Mm-hmm. That all of us end up paying the side effect of that fuel, but when you buy the fuel, it's artificially cheap. Yeah, the, the externalities aren't paid for in the cost of the fuel itself. Um, and there's been interesting experiments. This is, I don't know that this is in the Carbon Almanac, but there's been interesting experiments on how to fix some problems like that. Um, for example, some some cities like Singapore price um, the um, ability to enter a city by car much, much, much higher when it's a, a popular time to enter that city. Um, as a way to price the externality of an extra car in the city. And if you can price fuel accordingly so that the carbon burn is accounted for, it would be way more expensive. And people would naturally gravitate to alternatives like walking or getting on a bike or using public transport. There is a section in the book that really caught my attention, along with a couple others I want to ask about, but it was uh, myths of climate change. Um, either of you or both, what, what are some of the biggest myths about climate change that are either in the book or that you all uh, seem to encounter? Perhaps those things that maybe make you feel like you're taking crazy pills. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a couple we've mentioned, but some of them, as David pointed out, that each individual's carbon footprint is the problem. It's not. It's a systemic problem. One coal plant undoes the composting of millions and millions of people. It's not nothing to be compared. Number two, that coal is reasonably safe when, in fact, according to The Guardian, 8 million people died from coal in one year in 2018. Um, And another one is that climate change is going to happen somewhere else. It's going to happen to polar bears. It's going to happen to Inuit. It's going to happen to people who live in poor countries with coastal cities, um, when in fact, places like Miami are going to be fundamentally underwater in 10 years. Yeah. How about you, David? Well, you know, I I just um, get so annoyed when a for-profit company blames me. Um, You know, we talked about one example of that, but um, something else that just irks me is um, I w- I'll walk into a hotel and it'll be the middle of the summer and the hotel has an enormous atrium 
Um, you know, and the atrium is filled with plants and there's sunlight streaming in through the atrium and it's clearly costing a ridiculous amount of money to, to, to cool that atrium um, using um, carbon-based um, power. And then you walk into your room um, in the hotel and it says, um, we're trying to be careful of the environment. Please reuse your towels. And unless you call the front desk, we're not going to clean the room. And, and what they're doing is they're telling, they're, they're, they're shifting the blame to you. And it's like, I don't want that atrium. And, I'll, and I, I will then choose a different hotel that I feel it is doing a better job. But, but that idea of shifting the blame is just something that I didn't think about a lot until I started working on the Carbon Almanac. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we talked about it at the top of the show, but it, I just think it's remarkable that 300 people, um, some of whom wrote original pieces, some of whom edited pieces, um, proofread, and people from, Seth, how many countries are we now? Well, 40 was the core team, but now we're up to 91. 91 countries. So this isn't just... Um, you know, just coming from people from North America. It's like all over the world. And and everybody is contributing an interesting fact or idea or edit or um, cartoon. And we didn't even talk about this, but there's an entire children's book that was just, it just sprung up and was produced because someone thought it was the right thing to do. And so the difference between organize companies, you know, whether it's an energy company or hotel chain or whatever it is, sticking their heads in the sand versus this team of people who got together and said, you know, yeah, I'm going to put my hand up. I'm going to volunteer many hours. I, I'm sure Seth put way more hours than I did, but I, I probably put 50 or 50 or 100 hours into this project. Um, and, and and 300 other people have done so is it's just a remarkable thing and i think that's what that's what will help to get humanity out of this problem is if we all stick our hand up and say yeah this is partly my problem and okay i'll eat i'll eat i won't eat meat or i'll um, um or i'll be very careful of the kind of transportation I use to get one place to another, or um, at least I'll educate myself so that I'm intelligent about what's going on around me. Yeah, so the myths, I, I can't resist. I'm not going to read all of the book, but it's, <laughs> I just, just want to read the myths real quickly here. One, climate change is nothing new. The climate is always changing. Myth two, the earth is not warming. It's still cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> Myth three, renewable energy is expensive. Myth four, solar and wind can't work because they're dependent on the weather. Myth five, most people don't believe in climate change. These are myths. Uh, myth six, recycling plastic helps address climate change, which Seth mentioned here. It says only 9% of plastic is recycled. Myth seven, a number six styrofoam cup or takeout container placed in recycling bins helps the environment. Myth eight, depleting ozone is the principal cause of climate change. Myth nine, climate change does not affect me personally. Myth 10, it's too late. Nothing can be done about it. Seth, do you also um, – one, one that I've heard, I think I've heard in the past, is people say, well, the climate's changing, but it's not the fault of humans. What, uh, what's the response to that? Well, I, the, the biggest uh, response I have is I'm not going to argue with a troll um, because there aren't any open-minded, well-meaning people who are saying that. The Exxon memo – that describes in detail. <laughs> Which you have in the book. We the have, yeah, actual we have actually of it. 
copied it into the book. Exxon wrote it 40 years ago, and they described in detail exactly what was going to happen to the climate because of the work of companies like Exxon. So if it's good enough for Exxon, my hunch is it's good enough for anybody who actually wants to look at the data. (laughs) But you're bringing up something that's really important, which is when we think about business books, a, a field that I love and have been in for a very long time, Books like David's succeed because not one person reads it, but a team in the company reads it. That you have done such a great job, Doug, of chronicling books that are worth reading with your team. And the reason that that's so useful is if you can say purple cow in a meeting and other people understand you, Mm -hmm. then the team can get its act together. And the reason this book exists is because People who are listening to us right now should buy 100 copies for the 100 people on their team. The receptionist all the way up to the CFO. Because if you're going to have any conversations at all about supply chain, what your pricing is going to be in five years, whether or not you're going to be carbon neutral, whatever it is that's happening in the world, you can't have these conversations unless you know what you're talking about. (laughs) And the purpose of the book is to be able to hand it to that person who is well-meaning but skeptical and say, I don't need to have an argument with you. Read this and get back to me. Because right. if there's a mistake in the book, we will fix it. And we have a really easy way to, to submit errata on our website. But here's all the facts. We didn't make up any of it. Don't take our word for it. Click on a link. See what you think. It's up to you to decide. But at least there it is. Make your own mind up. Yes, it reminds me of a sportscaster years ago. It might have been in New York. The great expression he always had was, let's go to the videotape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so instead of describing what happened in the game, you'd look at it so people could say, well, let's look at the almanac. Let's see what, what that has to say. And, and what's interesting, um, as an aside to that, is that there's the almanac itself, um, the book, but then on our website, carbonalmanac.org, every single entry – and most entries are two pages, um, has a set of footnotes, extensive, you know, in some cases, 30, 40 entry footnotes where you can, you could dig around for like an entire lifetime. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Wikipedia-like. You can, dig, you can dig around in there and, and really, really find the background if you wanted to go there. To, um, to learn how we came up with what ended up actually in the book itself. Yeah, I was already poking around because there's one section at the end of the book that, of course, really got my attention because you, where you recommend all of these books uh, and podcasts and films and uh, documentaries and, uh, it was, and, and even books about poetry and, and nonfiction, just really uh, pretty exhaustive, as they say. So... Let me ask one other question related to what I mentioned earlier, and that is this book is not what the oil companies, marketers, activists, or politicians want you to believe. And I appreciate you putting marketers in there with all the other, you know, uh, <laughs> um, people. So uh, just off the top of your heads, what what is it that the – well, the oil company, I, you already talked about that, but what else do the, is it the marketers or the activists or the politicians – want you to believe? In other words, if if there were a few things that we could become more sensitive to, uh, almost like to help our antenna go up, what, what are some of the things that those groups want us to believe? And, and it could be either side, I think. Right. It's all over. 
None of them are in agreement, but the key is this. We have learned a lot about human nature as marketers in the last 50 years. And two of the biggest things we've learned is that convenience sells and emergencies sell. So if you can sell somebody on the idea that the price is going to go up tomorrow and it's really convenient to have it today, you can make a sale. And so when we start talking about the climate, what people will do is they'll say, you should buy this new beautifully designed X, Y, and Z because it will make you feel good today. Oh, and P.S., it will help the climate. And the thing that we all learned, the thing that changed our lives in addition to possibility working together is that we have a systems problem and individual action will not help. We need a systems approach to solving the problem. And that's what's missing from the conversation. What are the systems that are reinforcing what we do? Because we cannot shrink our way to greatness. We're going to have to rebuild. Nobody says that in 15 years, the world is going to be the same as it is now. It's going to be different. Okay, how are we going to get from here to there? We're going to do that with systems change. You can watch it just by opening your window and noticing there's electric cars everywhere you look. That happened in just a few years. What's it going to be like when they're all electric? And then what happens after that? What happens after that? And that's the beauty of being in business, not just the freedom of deciding what you're going to do tomorrow, but dancing with systems. And we're hoping that when people see how we made this and see what it says, they will start to see the systems around them. Can you talk about the concept of the tyranny of convenience? <laughs> it was at the beginning of the book. I thought that was fascinating. I, I, I guess I'd never understood that concept or, or even heard of it. Yeah. One of the things when I decided this book needed to exist, the first person I reached out to was Tim Wu, who wrote that piece. I've been trying to persuade Tim to write a book based on the piece, but he never did because he did other things with his life. But I got him to offer us the rights to reprint it in full. And what he has basically said, particularly in the richest parts of the world, is people have traded everything for convenience. We've traded our privacy. We've traded our health. We've traded our peace of mind just so that we can get something one click faster. And once you start to realize that convenience is what's been on offer for the last 20 years, suddenly a whole bunch of things make more sense. Mm. So before we wrap up, I wanted to ask about uh, just two real specific sections of the book. And one of them that really got my attention was on page 160. And it was all about greenwashing and recycling mm -hmm. theater, which has all kinds of marketing implications. And we've touched on a little bit of and then I later find out that's one of the sections written by this guy named David Merman Scott. <laughs> so well, I, I I wrote the I wrote the first draft, and then lots of people jumped okay. in and okay. edited it and helped. And and I think we've 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 talked about that quite a lot on the on uh, on our last um, couple minutes together. You know, it it, it is this whole idea that um, companies saying it's your problem and recycling doesn't really work. But I'd love to talk a little bit about my um, my contribution of a section about um, the indigenous people of Panama. Because again, this is not a, a book just about um, rich Western countries. So um, I've donated a 
a significant amount of money to uh, help um, uh, together with a, a team of some other people to preserve a hundred and uh, sorry uh, twelve thousand acres in one of the most um, ecologically important places in the entire planet in Panama. It's the narrowest point between North and South America, the narrowest point between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, and we um, have preserved some primary rainforest, a lot of primary rainforest, and we've also bought a lot of cattle ranching land and then have are letting that go back uh, to become wild. We have 12 jaguar that live on our land. We've, we photo um, have captured them in photos and we've identified them by their spots as individual animals. Um, just an amazing, amazing place. It's um, on the continental divide. We have a number of um, indigenous people who live in and around our area. Um, they're called the Guna people and they're they mostly live um, in the river, the Kangandi River, which goes through our property, and they also live um, in the Atlantic Ocean on some islands. And the, the um, um, global warming has actually affected them because um, their islands are extremely um, shallow, and there's a you know uh, only a few feet above sea level, so that they have actually seen their islands start to disappear and it looks like they're going to have to completely move away from them within 10 years and in fact have already moved some of the uh, people away from islands and they're now inland along uh, a river and it's absolutely affecting them and that we and we reached out to um the glasgow climate um summit cop 26 and said hey we want to come and and talk about what's going on and they were refused and, and said no yeah you, you you're not allowed um you know indigenous people who are lo losing their land because of climate are not part of are not allowed to be part of our climate um uh, summit so was this the um, summit that was in scotland not too long yes ago? yes the glasgow summit um in i believe it was november of 21 and so we just said what the hell we're going to go anyway and they <laughs> they built they they used they have a um a wonderful work of art called the mola and it's a handmade um, um, fabric, um, sort of really beautiful decorated fabric that they use for their clothing. They created an entire sail for a boat, um, huge mola sail. I believe it's to be the biggest mola ever made. Brought it to Glasgow, unfurled it without permission, and ended up that um, dozens of media outlets saw these people in very cold November um, Glasgow, Scotland, wearing this, um, these, their indigenous outfits that are designed for the, the tropics on near the equator in Panama. And so what the hell are you doing here? And, and, and everyone wanted to interview them. And they were in a bunch of different, um, news outlets. Mayor Bloomberg, um, Michael Bloomberg invited them to, uh, appear on stage at the, the concert that was being held for the event, and then a picture of the Mola sale together with a quote from one of the indigenous people was projected on the venue at night. 
And so these people weren't invited. They had an important message to deliver, and they just did it. They just delivered the message. And I, I think I loved writing that story because I've visited those people. I've been to their village three or four times. They um, are beautiful, wonderful people, and for, to no fault of their own, their homeland is being destroyed. And they wanted to tell the world about it. No one would let them, so they just did it. And I think that's kind of indicative of this idea of this book is that, you know, nobody, someone told anyone who, of the 300 people who wrote this or the tens of thousands of people who are already buying this book to do it. And it just raised our hand and says, we are part of the problem. We need to fix the problem. Mm. Um, and I, I just love, I mean, I, I just love the fact that <laughs> that they, most of them had never been on an airplane before, never seen an airplane before. They're on a plane flying to Scotland to to just demand action in a very civilized, you know, it's like they're, they're not jumping up and down screaming and saying, um, um, if we don't fix it now, we're all going to die. But they said, look, our homeland is being destroyed and we need to figure this out. Quite a story. Beautifully said. Yeah. So I, the last thing, I, we we're running out of time here, but was about uh, carbon labeling. It was very interesting. And there's a page 215, and I, I counted them because, you know, when you're the Marketing Book Podcast mm-hmm. host, you, you do your homework. There's over 30 <laughs> logos on this page, and it's all these different things that I've seen on plastic bottles or, or any kind of packaging. And the the point is that uh, people really need to do their, their homework. And I I say that because I have actually seen packaging that is, in fact, not recyclable, but the manufacturer puts a message on there that says, please recycle, and the, the thing isn't even recyclable, but it's like they're, I don't know, maybe that falls back into the greenwashing, where they're saying, but it doesn't say don't recycle this because this is going to be part sure. of that 92% of plastic that's going to end up in a landfill. We have good news and bad news. The good news is that, that the world is starting to pay attention, particularly the privileged, wealthy world. Uh, what that also means, though, is that marketers are going to cynically use that against all of us, including themselves. <laughs> Damn marketers again. Proud of it. Yeah. Um, because uh, you get, anyone who wants to can make a logo. Anybody who wants to can make a seal. And uh, some people are going to aim for shortcuts. So I don't think we're trying to encourage people to be more cynical. I think what we're trying to say to people is, if you see someone raising a flag saying they care, why don't you figure out how to sit down with them and figure out how to use their effort to actually make things better? Because we don't need more cynicism. We need more action. Yes, which takes us back to the story David told us about the hotel. Another example is... um um, the Keurig, I believe is how you pronounce it, those mm-hmm. K-cup um, coffee. Yes, I read about things. that in the book. There's yeah. there's billions and billions and billions of those things made and um, horrible for the environment. There are all these individual cups as opposed to just making coffee. Um, and um, and then they have a, oh, we, re- we recycle. Here, we'll send you a bag that you can dump all of them in and then you can send them back to us. And well, that just adds to the problem because all of a sudden you're using fuel to move these things from one place to another just so they can be thrown out somewhere else. 
Um, and so the whole, the whole we care about the environment thing shifting the blame to somebody else as, as we just see it everywhere. Yeah. So, uh, Seth, before we go, I wanted to ask you to talk about this partnership you have with the, the search engine. Is it pronounced Ecosia? It is pronounced Ecosia, but you can say it any way you want. Okay. And it's super cool. And part of my mission is to get people to just walk away from Google. Uh, you can, with two clicks, change your search engine. I did it over a year ago. And every time you do 50 searches, they plant a tree. They plant a tree where it will do it the most good and they take care of it. And what you get out of it is search results that are just as good and just as fast, but with more privacy and fewer ads. And I got to tell you, I don't miss my Google search. And if I need a Google search, I just have to type five letters into my browser and I can have one back. So if you go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash search, that's all you need to do. And it will show you step-by-step how to do it. If you don't like it, you can undo it. But if people, after hearing us talk for half an hour and you were so generous to have us on, want to do something right this minute, go do that. Go change your search engine. And did I read this right? (laughs) They've already planted 143 million trees. They have. I've already planted (laughs) almost a thousand, just me. Wow. Terrific. Well, the website, let me just mention a few things on the website, because I want people to, you know, before the book arrives, uh, there's a, a PDF of images from around the world uh, uh, highlighting the impact climate change is having, a free teacher's guide to the Almanac, including projects, lesson plans, and more for educators, a free kid's guide to climate with surprises and insights for children 6 to 10. Yeah, but I got to be honest, I really liked it too. I know, me too. <laughs> I know. I got I got totally sucked into it. Yeah, I spent more time on that, I think, than going through the book here, but <clears throat> not to take away from the book. But also, this is what's really interesting, a daily email action list, which will send you a simple but powerful idea to share each day. Yes, and we have thousands of people signed up for it already. And the goal is if we can get to hundreds of thousands of people, if we send a note to 100,000 people say, why don't all of you just reach out to this company and ask them why they're using palm oil? Their phones will ring and there will be a meeting that day and the CEO will be in the meeting and action can happen. Systemic change. Yeah. Douglas, before you go, Seth, I, I just am absolutely amazed at what you've put together. Well, we, we, of course, did it, but you ringlead this project in such a generous and um, an incredible way. I, when when you first reached out to me, I was one of the very first. I think it was in the first ten people. You 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 asked to join, and I'm like, "You're kidding! You got to be kidding! You're, we're going to do this!" And we just all jumped in. And you, um, you should be incredibly proud of what you have done. And yes, we all have contributed, but you pulled this together and. Um, I think it. You've done amazing work. I've read all your books, but this is you've you've just hit it out of the not only out of the park, but out of the city this time. It's just super amazing, and I want to thank you for for that um, on behalf of of everyone on the team, everyone who will buy the book, and everyone in the planet. Wow, thank you, sir. That means the world to me. I really appreciate you. Thank you, and David. Just a, another free idea for me. I'm, I'm full of ideas I don't have to implement, but I know that you are in the documentary world. And I was just thinking, as 
you know, Seth is talking about how quickly he did it with how many people. Uh, just amazing. This would make an incredible documentary. It would. It just would. about how it was made. I, I agree. I agree. And I'm glad we spent some time during this conversation talking about how it was made, the fact that all these people came together as volunteers. And I, I agree with you. That would be a cool documentary. Well, Seth, last question. If listeners only did one thing after hearing this conversation, what would you hope it would be? So just to be clear with people who are skeptical, there's no upside. I've been working as a full-time volunteer for free, and I'm going to continue being a full-time volunteer. The most important thing you can do right now is get 10 other people to read this book with you. Amen. Well, Seth, David, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to you both again and for uh, the opportunity to help spread the word on this just amazing project. Well, thank you, sir. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Douglas.